How you guys doing today? Do I sound funny? I feel like I sound funny. So guys, welcome to The Remnant. My name is Todd. I'm the pastor here. If it is your first time, we're in the middle of a series. It's a bunch of messages connected, uh, in this case loosely, connected by the fact that they're each individual stories. And you're like, oh man, here I am in the fourth. I've missed it all. It's unconnected. I mean, they're connected loosely because they're stories, but you can hop in and out and still get something out of it. And we call it the stories because we're kind of starting at the beginning of the Bible and we're working our way through not every story, but the story of individuals in it because um, there's a lot to learn from that. And God has a purpose for them being in here. And here's the most important thing for me to tell you is that even though I call it the stories, they're not just stories, right? I've said this every week. They're not fables. These aren't myths, right? You need to approach this not like you're going, this is a nice, this is a nice Aesop's fable to teach me something. That's not the case. This is historical Fact, things that happened, and because of that, um, they become even crazier. The other thing I would encourage you to think about is this, that these were real people. It's really easy sometimes to look at the people in the Bible who are a part of miraculous things and go, they must have been really special, really cool people. No, they just served a really special, cool God. And you matter just as much as they do. And we have something to learn of their lives. And that same God that moved miraculously in their life is still willing and able to move miraculously in your life. That's the truth. Um, so that's, that's something to keep in mind. When you realize that they had feelings and they got hungry and got sad and got lonely and got scared, then you understand that the steps of faith that they make, it was not because they were special angelic humans, but because they chose to trust God even when when the world would tell them not to or when the circumstances would make it seem foolish to do so. That, to me, helps me go, huh, and not just read them as Bible stories. Does that make sense? Awesome. Who here has ever heard? I love words, um, even though I may not be able to speak them clearly sometimes. I love words. Who here has word uh, heard? See, I just did it. Who has word of the herd? Who has heard of the word crucible? Raise your hand. Great. I wonder how many of you are like, I don't, but I don't want to be the one home. What is a crucible? This is one of the few times you can speak up, and I'm not going to look at you shamefully. What is it? What's a crucible? Yeah. Yeah, that is one of the meanings of it. He's absolutely right. It can be a trial. There's actually a chemistry person. You know. What do you do? You guys use crucibles? You do. She's like, no. What is it? I'll tell you. I called her out. Look. I'll put this description up for you on the screen. So a crucible is a ceramic or metal container in which metals or other substances may be melted or subjected to very high temperatures. Right? The second one, you were right here, is a situation or severe trial in which different elements interact, leading to the creation of something new. Right? So, a crucible is actually, in the old days, it could be huge. It could be, like, it looks like a giant barrel made of metal or ceramic, and you put, they put metals in them, melt them to see how pure the gold was, all that kind of stuff. Make sense? Separate the metals. And that's where in, uh, I brought up the chemistry major person just because she always, you know, brags about it. But uh, chemistry, in chemistry they do that today, they will call it a crucible and it's smaller and usually to separate elements. Okay? But a crucible has also come to mean something else. It's come to mean a situation that's hot. Right? A situation that is difficult to go through. That essentially, bottom line, when you go through these moments, we're going to find out, you ready, what you're made of. Because here's the truth. Talk is cheap. That's, that's, that's really the reality of it. You know, everyone says, oh, I'm brave or I'm courageous until there's a lion, right, in your face or until, and there's different levels of that, right? You might be brave. There's a dog and he's scary. I can, I'm not afraid of dogs. A lion, a little different type of fear. 
And a crucible is that kind of situation in some capacity that shows us what we're made of, that shows us who we are at our base level. Life, guys, is filled with crucibles. Some are small, like the ones you use in chemistry. They seem minor, right? The moments, what would a small one be? Traffic jam, right? I struggle there. You see what comes out of me sometimes. I was in Fort Wayne Saturday, um, and I did not. (laughs) People just don't care, and they're so dangerous, right? And I have to, I see myself being purified to see what I'm like in those moments. Um, In fact, the other day, Random story, I haven't told anyone. I was on my way to Warsaw, not Fort Wayne. I stop at a stoplight behind a guy, and there's a, a semi to the right. And the guy gets out, and I immediately think he's talking to me because this has happened to me a hundred times. And I, he gets out, and I'm telling you, this guy screamed like a psychopath. At the, got out of his car, and he's like, I'll kill you, blibbity blip. You get what I mean? Stay out of your car, I'll kill you. He was very old, too, which I was going, how are you going to kill him? Um, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not, you know, he just didn't seem like the type that could physically kill someone. So this went on for like 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to go. It wasn't really 10 minutes. But in that moment, we saw that that guy's base level, right, is that, is bleepity bleep. But then there's other situations in life, right? Health situations, that's a crucible. That, some, that we're blessed if we never have to go through one of those. Other crucibles can show up in our relationships. They can show up in situations that seem overwhelming, out of control. I'm obsessed, guys. I, I feel like sometimes people are like, Todd, why don't you tell us enough good-feeling sermons? Well, I, the, the good feeling is to, I'm going to tell you the good, but the good comes in the fact that it, good is not ignoring the bad. <laughs> right? Good is understanding that in the midst of the bad... In tough times of life, which exist, that there has to be a purpose, that there's a good in it. And so a lot of times, you know, I talk about things here, and those of you that come along turn, I guess I'm talking to you. The rest of you, it's your first time, so you won't know. But I want to challenge you. This is going to sound cold, but if you, if you say that you follow Jesus, okay, but you get upset and angry when you're challenged, when you're faced with the smallest of crucibles, maybe a word I say, and you leave, or you come to say, maybe I don't believe this, I would rather you do that. I would rather that happen because at least then there's an opportunity that you may come to truly know Jesus and not the example that you've created. See, some of you have already lost it because you're cool with God, but Jesus is a whole different thing because Jesus draws a line in the sand. God can be whatever you want it to be, right? It can be whatever you want it to be. But Jesus says, no, there's truth and there isn't. There's my way or there's not. You guys in this room today, probably every one of you, is, in, is dealing with some kind of crucible. You may not know it that way. You may not see it that way. But some kind of situation that if you're honest about yourself, it's showing you who you are. Now, a lot of times when we go through crucibles, you know what we do? We get really angry. Because it's better to be angry than to admit that I'm jealous or I'm envious or I'm spoiled or I'm spiteful or I'm mean or I'm aggressive. So you'll just be angry because it's their fault, they being whatever caused your situation. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's other people, right, that put us in the fire. But the bottom line is even if they put us in the fire, they're not the one that's making us reveal what we are. Do you see what I mean? If I take a bottle of water and I kick it over, it's your bottle. 
You have a drinking bottle, and I kick it over. It's my fault I kicked it over, but what spills out, you put in. What's in there? I've realized the last month and a half for myself, I've had to deal with who I am. I've had to wrestle with, do I believe what I say I believe? I deal with the same temptations as you. Those of you that know me well clearly know that. Those of you who don't, let me ruin any illusion you have. I'm not a great person. I want to be. And I serve a great God. But I have to deal with the same questions. Do I really believe this? Am I just saying it to you because I'm supposed to? Do I only believe it on a Sunday? What ha- Everybody's like, what happened on Monday? I'm, what happens on Tuesday? <laughs> what happens on Thursday? What happens on Saturday? And I want you guys to consider that. What are the crucibles in your life, right? I mean, it, got, it could be anything. It could be your job. It could be money. You know, you start, you start doing that one shady thing. Right? That one, that one, I'm gonna compromise a little. Everyone, everyone does it. Everyone does it. That's such a dangerous thing. The truth is, Christianity is our faith, Christianity in general. Yeah, we're called to be in community. We talk about that a lot here at the Renner, but it's a very personal thing. Because there are people out there that completely can fool me. I'm pretty discerning, I think, but you can fool me. Bottom line is at the end of the day. You can get mad at me, you can get mad at the next person, you can get frustrated with your situation, but you have to deal with, not your husband, not your wife, not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, not your mom, your dad, you have to deal with who is God. What do I really believe? When I see parts of the Bible or someone says something that's in the Bible that I don't like, do I throw it away? Do I rip that page out? Do I pretend that's not really there because I don't like it? Or do I, am I willing to say I have to change That's what a crucible does. The dangerous thing about Christianity in America is you can be successful and not follow Christ. Do you understand that? There's a version of Christianity that tells you if you've got the nice house, the picket fence, the four kids, the two dogs, and a partridge in a pear tree, right, that you are doing it. God is blessing you. But he's not blessing those believers in Africa, right? He's not blessing the believers in China who are struggling with a page of the Bible. No, he's blessing you because your buddy told you that, who also happens to live in a big house with a white picket fence and has four kids and two dogs and a partridge in a pear tree. Funny that you each say you're doing it. And anybody that disagrees, right, how dare they? How dare they make me uncomfortable? How dare they make me deal with who I am? That's the truth. The truth is the truth. Capital T. But in America, there's a version of Christianity that sometimes has very little to do with truth. It has to do with how you feel. How does the God of Todd feel on the subject? And if I say that's what Jesus meant, then certainly that's what he meant. Man, that's scary. That's scary. You know, I, uh, I've said this before. I've been in ministry now for a while. It's crazy to think about because I, if you are new, I didn't grow up in church. I'm not, I just, I'm not. And I, I mean, not typical in a good way either. I'm not the good typical. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things um, that, that I've, I've tried to put together, what I've understood is out of all the years I've done ministry now, I get the most flack 
Not from all of the terrible qualities I have, because I just told you I have a bunch of them. It's when I tell people the truth. You know when people leave the church? I'm telling you right now, I cannot think of one time. I mean, there are people that have left in a good way, right? They, they have to move, you're having a good time. But people that leave a church, every time it has to do with, they, when presented with truth, get angry and leave. Isn't that insanity? I'm literally sitting here saying, like, I have all of these horrible pro- these traits that, like, if you said, Todd, you're a jerk and I'm leaving, oh, that makes sense. But no, it's because I'm telling the truth that I didn't even create that makes you upset to leave. That's a crucible. If you can't even handle the truth being spoken to you, then you certainly are not going to live the truth when put in the heat of life. Because here's the thing. You're not going to be comfortable in Christianity. There's something in this book that makes all of us uncomfortable. Now, you may be more comfortable with certain parts than me, and I may be more comfortable with certain parts than you, but the bottom line is it's always going to involve what? Crucifying your flesh. What Jesus is saying is you're going to have to kill those parts of you that you don't want to give up. Well, I'm really good at giving money. Yeah, but I'm not really good at laying down my pride or forgiving or whatever else it is. Crucible. No amount of religion can withstand a crucible because eventually the base shows itself. What are you really made of? That's why that, it's become Christianese, but the whole idea, someone puts a gun to your head, do you believe in Jesus? Yes or no? You know what I did when I was younger when someone asked me that? I was like, I just tell them no, but in my heart I really believe it. I just, I mean, bottom line is, right, whether right or wrong, there's a line that I don't want to cross. Or I didn't. Maybe I still don't. I don't know. Crucible. Trial. Hard moment, trial situation. Every single day you have one. Some of them are minor i.e., the guy cuts me off in Fort Wayne, <laughs> right? Or doesn't let me out. That's the worst one. There's a giant line, and you, you, know, you know what they do. They pull right out, and they don't need to. And, they're just, and they, they, they don't look at you because they'll pretend you don't exist because you're going to be like, oh, man, that happened. <laughs> See, clearly, need more, more purifying in that area. Today we're going to talk about... Um, some guys that went through a crucible. Pretty famous story. Now, you may, it comes from the book of Daniel. Daniel was a prophet, and I really encourage you to go read it. Some of the, prof, the books of the prophets, it means God, you know, people that God spoke to to speak to his people, they can be kind of like, huh? You know, they, they are. We're, gonna go, we're going to do a series. I've been pushing it off because I know it's so intense. That's the truth. I'm human. I just told you. That's a lot of work. And i got to go in and explain all the symbols and all that. So Daniel's going to get his own It's going to be multiple. I was just talking about that today. You can't do Daniel in a story, okay? He's got a big life, but you can do parts of it. And so we're going to talk about Daniel today. And before we do, though, i got to catch you up because we're not doing the whole thing. Primarily, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. So this we skipped way ahead from what we talked about last week in the time of Israel, the time of uh, the Jewish people. They've kind of settled. They have kings now. They're, you know, become their own little kingdom. But they still can be very obstinate, very stubborn, uh, their faith crumbles, right? They tend to take the faith of the people around them still. Makes it easier. Sound, sound familiar? And uh, so a king shows up to Jerusalem. His name's Nebuchadnezzar. Everyone heard that name? Raise your hand. Yeah, it's a real person. Nebuchadnezzar. So a powerful king has a Babylonian empire, and he lays siege to Jerusalem. And essentially takes it over. And he, when he comes in, he loots and pillages, and he, he takes 
the most handsome, perfect young men. So handsome, intelligent, gifted men. He says, I want you to take them. We're going back to Babylon. We're going back to our kingdom. And I want you to train them in our ways for three years. And then I want you to bring them. And I'm going to use them in the court. They're going to serve me in court. Now, before you say, why would he do that? It's like pets. That's the truth. I can brag, right, to my friends. Look what I did. I took this, this uncouth Jewish guy and turned him into a Babylonian prince. And so four men end up catching his eye after this three-year period. One is Daniel. You've heard of him, right? And then the others uh, are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, the king, they change their names and give them Babylonian names. Daniel becomes Belshazzar. I say that name terribly wrong. But we keep calling him Daniel throughout this book, probably because he's a prophet, and they're trying to make sure they remember who he is. But the other three, they continue to call them by their Babylonian names. Now, interestingly, their Babylonian names, I'm not going to tell you, but the new names they give them pretty much are like uh, names that give homage to Babylonian gods. Kind of a, an affront, right? Your name is like servant of Jesus. And I go, no, your name is uh, servant of Baal. That's your new name, right? Sort of mocking, sort of saying... You're nothing. And that's what they continue to call them. So they come back, and he, they begin to serve them in court in various ways. Well, what ends up happening is Nebuchadnezzar has some dreams, and they're the type of nightmares that are keeping him awake at night, and he can't, he can't figure it out. He can't, he, he's, he can't sleep. He can't eat. Have you ever had dreams like that mess, mess with you the day after? And so he calls all of his sorcerers and his, his wise men, and he says, I need you to tell me what my dreams mean. And he, he says, if you tell me wrong... I'm going to tear you limb from limb. And then they, of course, say, well, we won't. Just tell us what your dream is. And he goes, <laughs> I get what you're doing here. You're just going to make something up. If I tell you, you're going to make up an interpretation. So instead, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then tell me. Tell me what it means. Can you imagine that? And they immediately go, um, well, no one can do that. No one but the gods, little g, could know what you dreamed. So just tell us. And we'll take care of it. He gets angry, and he says, kill every wise man, every source, every priest in my kingdom. Kill them all. Nebuchadnezzar, vengeful guy. Okay? So Daniel happens to hear about this. And Daniel comes up, and he essentially tells the soldiers that are coming to kill them. He says, wait, take me, tell the king I can, t I can help him. So I'm going to skip ahead. He goes and tells him. So he brings Daniel forward. Daniel, at this point, does not know. He prays. So he said this. He had faith that God would answer before he went. He just said, I'm going to tell you. And you can imagine his mind. He's like, I have no idea. I literally, God, please. So he leaves and he goes, God, I need you. Tell me what, what's going on. And so when he ends up showing up, the king says, tell me. or gives the same threat. I'll tear you limb from limb. And then Daniel proceeds to tell him the dream. See, I'm not going to tell you this. I hope you guys are intrigued. Go read it. It's pretty crazy. And he tells him not only... What his dream means, he tells him the exact dream. Can you imagine? And Nebuchadnezzar immediately says, okay, your God is real. No one else did it. My God's, your God is real. We're going to give you honor. And he makes him the leader of the province of Babylonia, okay? A big province. He's the leader. And so he goes, hey, uh, you know, buddy, king, can you bring my three buddies with me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's the names I didn't tell you earlier. And he says, okay, so what happens is they stay to rule and administrate the province while Daniel, he, he doesn't, even though he's the ruler, he's the king's favorite, so he's in court. So they are handling the day-to-day -day operations. So everybody's happy, right? This is a good time. God's already shown himself. End of story. Faith. Become slaves. God, but that's not where it ends. 
So we're going to pick up there in a minute. i got one more thing to tell you. So then Nebuchadnezzar sometime later creates a golden statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. Now we don't know exactly what it what the statue was of, but clearly it was either a false god. Some people say it was a statue of him. Some people say it was like an obelisk, just to, like, to stand for Babylon, Babylon in general. And a, the king says, whenever you hear this music, I want every single person to bow down. So he brings all the leaders, all the mayors, um, princes, all this. And he says, he brings them as sort of a homage, right? You're going you're gonna to swear allegiance. When they play this music, you're all going to bow down. So they bow down. However... Some of the Babylonian princes or mayors or nobles look over and they see three guys that are not. So they go, guess who it is? It's those three Jewish guys. Anyway, he goes back, and that's what we're going to pick up. So these little weasels go and tell Nebuchadnezzar this, starting in Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 9. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, suck-ups. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you've appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, what I like about this section is, well, again, if you, if you just read it, you're like, oh, but think of it as people. You see what they're doing? They immediately come up and go, hey, king, remember, you know, you gave a command. And you said anyone that doesn't bow. So they're stoking the fire. He didn't just, they could have just come up and said, hey, these guys aren't bowing down. They said, they go, they've ignored you. They spit in the face of the king. They won't worship what you tell them to worship. We have no indication that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did anything to these guys. They just got jealous. Right? You make sense. You bring in these foreigners and now you've put them above me. That ever happened to you? People dislike you for no reason. Right? Sometimes they dislike you because of your faith. Oh, yeah. Jump down to verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar asked him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the God, gold, I'm sorry, gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. Give him another chance. Remember, he likes these guys. That, that, again, he's a human. He's like, hey, you know, you probably didn't hear it. So when you hear this music I'm about to play, just go ahead and do it and let's get over this. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? <laughs> Man. Right. Jump down and we get their answer in verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Now keep in mind, guys. Remember I told you real life. Picture whoever won. Maybe it's the CEO of your company. I don't know. Mom, dad, uncle, brother. It doesn't matter. Somebody with authority, the president. It doesn't matter. PTO, chairman. I don't know what you care about. Whatever it is. Someone in influence and authority. Someone you care about. Someone you're afraid of. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. By the way, I just love that. That's such a, listen, I don't have, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Oof, that gave me goosebumps. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Can't, this is a Holy Spirit goosebump stuff. Imagine that. 
just saying, listen, I don't have to give you an answer, but here's one anyway. If my God is, does exist, then he's going to protect me. But even if he doesn't, I will never bow to your false God. Doesn't what? Doesn't save me? Doesn't move in the way I want him to? What kind of faith does it take to say, even if God doesn't move, even if God doesn't save my life, I will still not turn my back on him? That's a crucible I hope none of us ever have to face. But that's real. And I always compare it to our life, right? You, some of you may not even be able to handle your friend asking you where you were last night. You know what I'm saying? You can't handle your pastor telling you God's word because it makes you grumpy. How dare he? That's the sound. (laughs) You don't sound like that probably. (laughs) We talk big, don't we? Oh, God, I would never bow to a false God, yet you do every day. Most of the time, you know which God you bow to? Yourself, a very small God. And that's why life is never what you want it to be, because your God has no power. Starting at verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar, (laughs) clearly, was filled with rage. I would be too. I'm going to be honest. I would be as the king. Who do you think you are? And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, it points to, again, that his first comment was probably kind of love. Like, these are some of my favorite people. I'm going to give you a way out. It changed. He got angry. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. Seven times hotter. Seven times bigger than normally customary for what? Cooking hot dogs? No, for killing people. All right? It is, it, it, this is not like, oh, that's fine. He just put a couple more charcoal on the fire. No, seven times more than is needed to kill a person. How much fire? I don't know how you can do that. I mean, you're killing them with this fire. It's just, I guess he's making a point, right? Big fire, little fire, it's going to burn me. And then after that, he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army. So this is a point again, right? He goes and tells the rock and the guy that plays the mountain on Game of Thrones, and he t- grabs them and drags them up to this giant pot. Up to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. He's angry. There's no way out. Verse, uh, so they do tie him up. And verse 22 tells us what happens. Since the king's command was so urgent. I mean, this must have happened immediately. Grab him. Take him. And the furnace is extremely hot. The raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. It was so hot that when they got to the lip, They died. Passed out, fell in, burned. We don't know, right? Probably smoke, who knows? Whatever it was, they died just throwing them in. And so they're sitting there burning. The king's standing over them or sitting on his throne looking down into the fire, waiting to hear screams, and he hears nothing. And not only does he not hear anything, they're just standing there in the fire. This has really happened. Put yourself there. And then this happens. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, as any of us would, where's the yelling? Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Oh, this is so good, guys, I'm telling you. You ever remember this song, Another in the Fire? This is where it comes from. We know three men bound in the fire. Yes, of course, your majesty replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Son of God, some translation. So you're probably, what does that mean, right? A lot of people think it's an angel. I think the wording implies that it was Jesus. It was Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus. That's what it's called, right, when he showed up. He showed up throughout the Old Testament. 
They differentiated at times, right? You had the angel of the Lord. You've heard of that. Nebuchadnezzar looks down in the fire, sees the three men, and then sees a man who somehow stands out enough in the midst of the fire that he says, this is a God. You're not getting these? Because I am. And I knew what was coming. Picture that. The ropes burned off, but they were unharmed. And there's another man in the fire. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe holding his arms around them. I don't know. So he sees them, and the next verse tells us what he does in response. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your servants, your servants of the Most High God. Come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. One instance of seeing the living God, of seeing Jesus Christ. And it was enough for him to go the most high God. When they were pulled out, verse 27, 28, when the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, all the important folk, they saw the fire had no effect on the body of these men. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected. And there was no smell of fire on them. <laughs> that is just, it's just a cool story, huh? No, this is history. This happened. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's commands and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God, capital G. Hmm. Verses 29, the last sentence. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They didn't have to say anything. They didn't have to preach a sermon. The crucible of their lives showed who their God was. Their response to the heat and the flame and the situation pointed a pagan man to at least at bare minimum acknowledge the existence of their God and not only that but to, to, to declare him the most high God. No sermon. No words, just their example and the life they lived. You know, I want you to put yourself in that moment of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you think they knew what God was going to do? Some of you are going, I don't know. Of course they didn't. You know how I know? Because they said, but even if he doesn't save us. They were completely aware of the fact that they may die in this fire. But they understood that their faith and their God wasn't just held in the world you can see. They had an eternal viewpoint. We miss that in the modern world. In our world of science and elements and, and Elon Musk, Mars trips and all the other things, we, we somehow have minimized the miraculous. This story is such a powerful story. I am blown away by the fact that everybody knows him. I didn't grow up in the church, but I remember the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think there was a song. Is there a song? That's what I thought. You Christian folks who grew up in the church, was there some kind of little song? Yeah, people are saying there are. You guys had songs for everything. And uh, it's good, though. And I'm glad to be a part of the club, by the way, now. And they, they didn't preach anything. And yet, we know the state of their faith 
by the way they live their life in the hottest moment of their life. One chapter told us everything we need to know about these three men. One moment? How long did that take? 10 minutes? 20 minutes? 30 minutes? An hour? We don't know how long he left him in there. I'm sure he left him in long enough to be like, make sure it's not a fluke. Let's say it was an hour. In one hour, we see the state of their faith. And they pointed the most powerful man in the world toward, toward God. I don't know. Sometimes, you know how I always say, I like get mad at the Christians because I remember not being a Christian. And I'd be like, gosh darn it, you know, all the things we do sometimes to non-Christians by our faith. But sometimes if you're in the room and you're not a Christian or you're a named Christian, I get mad at you too. Because you're not slowing your mind down long enough to make a decision based on reality. This isn't about me, and it's not about this church, and it's not about uh, the guy on TV that smiles. This is about what you believe about life, faith, and God. Do yourself a favor. You're already here. Think about this. So I have a list. And God, who is he, and who are you to him? So I have a list. I know people like lists. So today, I really had a struggle with the name of this list. I was just going to do, what do we learn from this story? But it seemed kind of... Lame compared to the title of crucible. So what, are, what to remember about our crucibles? It's not much better. It's like a child book. How to go to the bathroom. Anyway, what to remember about our crucibles? This is true, though. Number one, everyone worships something. What are you worshiping? Hey, do you know that? You worship something? Most of you worship yourself. I shouldn't say that. Most of the time, we are struggled and tempted most with worshiping ourselves. Who determines right and wrong? If it's not the Bible, it's not God, it's not some outside source, then, and it's you, then you have set yourself up above all other forms, all other authority. You are the one who determines right and wrong. And don't you see the danger in that? I, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. You worship something. What do you worship? Sometimes believers, and what I mean by this, you may be a believer and you're, you're a Christian, but your life doesn't worship God. It worships something else. It might be money, and it might be status, and it might be alcohol, and it might be uh, drugs, and it might be, um, I mean, it could be anything. Sex, power, family. Did you know you can worship things that are good in and of themselves, but when you set them on the throne, they become idols? You know, that's, that's an idol that some of you just won't let go, will you? Don't you talk about my family, Todd. Take it up with God. I get so tired of talking about some of that with some of you. Like, you get mad at me because of what the Bible says. I didn't write it. Everyone worships something. What are you worshiping? In the moment of your crucible, the moment that you're going through, the struggle, the time, you're going to find out who or what you worship. Do you want to know why? I'm not saying this is true, but I say it for myself. In my life, I was a Christian, but when my life fell apart, I at least meaning I put my faith in Jesus, I had not matured at all. When I hit a trial in my life, guys, you know what I found out? My idols broke apart, and I felt like killing myself because the reason was I had built my life around the worship of a false god. It was just myself. And every false idol I, that I worshiped, God tore down, whether it was football or my girlfriend or uh, status or my job. At some point or another, the reason Jesus says build your life on solid ground is because it does not matter how skilled you are, how good it is, it can be taken away. 
And that's why so many people spiral, guys. If you're in this room and you're in a, you know that's you, you spiral. I want to do right and then you fall apart. The reason you're doing it is because you're constantly basing your entire life over something that isn't stable. Sometimes your marriages struggle because you've put the weight of being God on the happiness of your spouse. You, you judge life based on how pleased they are with you. Number two. Well, number one, remember what you're worshiping. Think about that. And I don't know the answer for you. Number two, every trial is filled with choices to bow or stand. Remember I told you every day, these little things, this has really helped me process life. Every time I'm driving down the road and that guy does the jerky thing, my response is a choice to bow to myself, to my desires, to my flesh, to compromise my faith or to stand firm in my faith. Every moment. What I've learned about a small town, Indiana, okay? Grew up here, but I'm going to pick the one that, met, that made, I, this is, you want to know, the number, this is so ridiculous, you're not going to believe this. Number one thing I get flack for, community, church. I don't want to go to church when I don't want to go, and God doesn't want that either. I'm serious. And then, there, then you start making all these excuses up, and then people get mad at me about it. I'll be like, hey, I haven't seen you in church in a while. I missed six weeks, Todd, what's the big deal? I don't know, you could have been dead. I Right? That's a small thing, but it's a moment. I didn't make that up. Do, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. It's in the Bible. He's talking to other Christians. You ready for the compromise? Your mind immediately thought of ten things of why it's okay. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you when you miss church, but the reason I push that one is because the one that makes you the most uncomfortable. Push. I'm going to keep poking it. All right? I'm going to poke it until something happens. You either punch me and leave. Please don't punch me because I'm going to fight back. It's going to be ugly. I'll lose my job. Poke it, right? And either you deal with it or you walk away, and that's okay to me. Because eventually my hope is, is that that pride gets broken down and you realize it's not about me or you. It's about what you say you believe. He who is faithful in the small things, right? That's a pretty small thing in the big scope of it. I have people that want to lead ministries all the time. I want to lead a ministry. You don't come to church 40% of the time. That's being a leader, well, I don't feel like it today. Okay? I don't feel like it many times. <laughs> Truthfully. I just picked that one because that always makes people mad, and I figure why not. But you have other ones too, right? Other choices. People in school. I, you know, I want to talk to you too sometimes. I was in high school. I lived that life. You know what's really sad to me? It tells you how powerful my God was. When I was in high school, I loved football so much that I never had sex. Isn't that crazy? I was not a Christian, grew up a Christian home, but I loved football enough that that God, I would not have sex because I didn't want my God to be displeased, meaning I didn't want to lose a scholarship or something because I had a kid. That's the God honest truth. <laughs> no pun intended. I, think about that. I, had only, I only ended up having sex after becoming a believer. How sad is that? Well, how is that possible, Todd? Because I still hadn't shifted my worship from my other idol, Right? Football is very tangible. You will not get a scholarship probably if you have a kid. I even had a sign. This is so, I don't know if this is vulgar or funny, but I had a sign on the back of my door in my room that when I had my girlfriend in my room and she's kissing up on me, I could see it. Work is the price you must pay for success. You can accomplish almost anything if you're willing to pay the price. To me, the price was don't, don't do anything more and make out with her. 
I'm serious. So she'd be kissing him. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> and I'm reading that sign that's reminding me, right, of football. That's ridiculous but true. But yet I don't let the word of God change my life sometimes. Number three. Ooh, I better speed up. Culture often opposes Jesus. And I put in parentheses, guess who said this? The servant is not greater than the master. If they hated me, they will hate you. That was Jesus. What do I mean by that? You know, guys, if you're, if you're trying to please culture and God, even it doesn't matter if it's work, family sometimes, America, if you try to please both, there will come a time when there is a division. You have to choose who to please. Who will you please? And then we, we want to find a way. And then, by the way, I'm not making fun of you. That's human. Nobody wants to be hated. Nobody wants negative consequences, but you can't run from them. There will be a time when choosing to follow Jesus and meaning it is going to upset someone. Even the term Jesus upsets people. I can say God all day long, and everybody's like, cool, because that version of who that is, you've created. Jesus is very defined. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ooh, I don't like that. Culture often opposes Jesus. So in this case, right, Everything was cool. They loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was all great. I loved you until the moment when you decided to let your faith trump my desire. What what made me comfortable, the God I told you to worship. Success. That's a big one in America. I'm with you. I want to be successful. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being successful. I'm all about it. If you know me personally, grind. Make it happen. But not at the cost of your faith, not at the cost of your testimony. What does it profit a man... To gain the whole world but lose his soul. That's a powerful statement. They hated Jesus. They loved him. This has always stuck with me. 3,000, 5,000 people listened to him preach when he was handing out bread and healing the sick. But when it came time to die on a cross, nobody was there. It's the same thing. We see in their lives a willingness to please God over man. Are you? When it comes down to it? And if you're not, be honest about it. About it. That's like from New York or the Bronx. Hey, over here, about it over here. Number four. (laughs) Number four. Faith is found in the, but even if he does not. Oh, man, that statement made me cry when I read it, even to prepare for this. My God can rescue me, but even if he does not, I will not bow down. Could cry right now. That's the crucible. Sometimes we think that we're standing firm because we hold out hope that faith is that God's going to do what I expect Him to do. Here's the promise that you have I will work out all things for the good of those who believe according to my purposes. And if He is good and He is faithful and He is just, and He says, I will never let go of you and I love you with an unending love then we know that that end result, even though we can't see it, and I don't pretend to, I'll never be the one that tells you God intended for this child to have cancer. I don't know. That's sin and brokenness. But what I will tell you is that I have faith that my God loves that child and loves everyone else involved, and that he has their good in mind. And then in the midst of the brokenness and pain of this world, he still makes beautiful things. I don't know how he does it, but he does. What do you do in your crucible? Do you have the faith to say, but even if he does not? Or is your faith dependent on the response? Is your faith dependent on the answer he gives you or him answering? 
Because real faith is saying he will answer. It's not meaning he's going to do exactly what you want him to do. That's where we trust his goodness, right? Number five, this is a simple one, but true. Jesus is always with you. Some of you in this room are like, I don't love Jesus, stupid, doesn't matter. He still loves you. Right now, today, at this moment, he's calling out to you. Well, I've done this and I've done that and I have this addiction and that addiction. So what? So what? You don't have to have that cleaned up first. Whoever told you that lied to you. That's not what it's about. It's not about you cleaning yourself up enough. It's not about you being holy enough. It's about Jesus being holy enough. And the good news is he already was. You've never gone too far. Even in the middle of the fire, he's there. That one I can tell you from experience. It's going to sound, I don't talk about, I don't hyper-spiritualize things sometimes. It means try to make it all mystical. But I remember a time in my life, I promise you, it's felt, in the worst moment of my life, I felt, I felt God in a way I've never experienced because I know he was there. I, I know it. I think about it sometimes. It gives me, gives me comfort. When everyone else turned on me, he never did. And he never will you either. Amen. Number six. Oh, I better speed it up. You're, oh, no. Corey's not here. I'm fine. Your crucible will be a testimony. Period. Ready? Your crucible will be a testimony, but will it point people to God or away from God? Which God will it point to? Your response, whether small or big, the crucible, your response to the crucible, whether small or big, will point people to something. It is a testimony to something. Will it show them your God and give them faith? Or will it tell them that, oh, pff, hypocrite. Right, that's the big word. Hypocrisy is not found in the failing. It's, how, it's found in the response to the failing. You see what I'm saying? That's crazy to me, man, to think that, you know, I have family members. When I first became a believer, I was super fu- I fired up. I still am. But, I mean, I was like, that's all I would talk to them about because I thought if I hammered them enough, and it's very important, right? It's their life. Well, what I didn't realize is God hadn't cleaned up a lot of these other things in my life, and sometimes my response to stuff early on has to this day affected their view of the message that I'm telling them. That stinks. Your crucible will be a testimony. It won't point people to God or away. If you're in school right now and you're like, this is for adults. No, it isn't. It's for you too. You, claim, you want to be one of those uh, American high school Christians? They all say they are. Anybody walking around school, not the ones that are cool, right, with the I am a Satanist shirt on. Nobody does that. That ain't cool. But I'm a Christian with your, with your cool bracelet and stuff. That's fine. Does it, do you live it? Because I, I tell you what, again, I was in high school, didn't know Jesus. And I, I was a good kid, but I thought a lot of my Christian buddies, like, you know what I remember from? I remember one girl told me I was going to go to hell because I said the word jerk, which I know now is from Raqqa. There's a word where Jesus talks about, hey, don't say this word, long, corny story. But she didn't give me context. She just said, you're going, you'll go to hell for saying jerk. And I was like, well, I'm screwed. Like, I've said, I've, well, I just said screwed. I've said jerk like 15 times, right, that day. It used to be my favorite word, jerk. Still is probably... My point, you know, she didn't tell me how do I not go there. I'm like, I'm already going now. There's no point. Or I remember the, this jerky, I don't want to say, there's a specific guy. <laughs> this guy who was rude at times, you know, was sold out. And I, and I don't judge him because I know now that Christians are humans. But it wasn't that he was in It's just the way he treated people. Like he was better than them. It always seemed to matter when he was around the religious people. 
that didn't, that didn't increase my faith. That wasn't a testimony. Number seven, he is faithful and trust the process. I'm telling you, if you're getting dragged up to the lip of a seven times more than needed to kill a man fire, getting dragged in, it's hard to tell you to trust the process. But what if I told you, if I told you that when you jumped in there, you're never going to be burned, that you were never going to have any injuries, and you're going to come out and be a miracle, be like, oh, that's incredible. How many times have you ran away from the fire and robbed yourself of a miracle? I'm serious. And the fire being that situation, I'm I'm going to, there's no way out of this. I've done a lot of stupid stuff, and I'm not saying it's always going to work. I I have a lot, a lot of stupid stuff, still do. One thing I've noticed is when I accept that, and I act act humble, right, and I live out of it, and and I follow this even when it's uncomfortable, that still somehow points people to Jesus. Isn't that nuts? Because deep down we all mess up and screw up. It's just a game of who gets caught sometimes. He is faithful, guys. And that's something I'll tell you both from, we see that in their example, right? He was faithful to them. But we also, I'll tell you that from personal experience. God is faithful. I can say that to you and not lie to you. God is faithful. Not if you do this religious thing, because if I did that, I'd be, I'm, <laughs> I'm not good at it. I'm not. He is faithful. Trust the process. She's going to come play some music, and I'm just going to leave you with some thoughts. This is called altar time. It sounds all fancy. An altar is the place to worship God, right? It's come and lay down your sacrifice. And, and this is a moment between you and God, not your buddy, not your wife, not your friend, your mom or dad. This is for you. Well, I'm only 12, but you understand the words coming out of my mouth that God's still speaking to you. I'm only 16. God's still speaking to you. I'm only 18, 19, 20. I'm 75, 100. doesn't matter. God is still speaking to you. I don't pretend to know what he's telling you today, but I can guarantee you this. He's telling you something. I believe him. Now, what you do with that is up to you. But I'm going to leave you with some questions to help you in this time. Two things. One, are you in a crucible right now? Are you in one of those times that, if you're really honest, it's it's miserable? You feel alone? You feel like no one cares? You feel like... God's abandoned you or everyone's abandoned you and so you run from thing to thing to try to distract you I've done that sometimes I still do I don't want to deal with that hurt but all you're doing is running from the fire it's not going to stop it it's not going to stop the crucible pretending it's not there doesn't make fire go away so what do you do with it What are you doing with it right now, today, in the next 10 minutes? What are you going to do with it? Are you willing to say, God, I trust you. I want you to rescue me from this. But even if you don't, I'm not going to bow. I'm going to trust and I'm going to follow. Because I know you've told me you have good for me. The other one is to some of you, maybe you're you're in one of those good moments, right? Life is like this. And you're not in the valley crucible. You're up here. But it's a great time to think back and go, how have I responded to the crucibles in my life? How have I responded to the fire? Am I one of those Christians that, man, God's gone. I hate him. Run around, you know, I don't know, drink it away or smoke it away or pop it away. And then right when things are better, oh, hallelujah. 
testimonies in the crucible. It's in the fire. I hate that too. I hate it. I don't know why we can't just live in like happiness all the time. Well, I do. It's called sin. We'll get to that in a minute. But I can't wait for that day when I don't have to go through a crucible anymore. When you get to come out of the fire and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come to the place I've prepared for you. I know some of you in the room are like, oh, I just want this over. I've heard this pastor say it a hundred times. Everybody says it. Yeah, everybody says it, but somehow you've avoided it. God is still here. God is right now beside you in the fire in the moment. Whether you believe him or not, he's there. And if you don't know him, he's saying, I love you still, even now. Bible says he came in the midst of our sin not when we're cleaned up and any Christian that's told you that you got to be clean enough to know Jesus lied to your face he does the cleaning we do the submitting we do the put faith in him what's your crucible you're in this room today you don't know Jesus you know who you are be honest with yourself because I was 18 17 when it happened I remember be honest with yourself. Cool high school kids that are in here, you are cool. Guess what? I remember the moment when I was 17, 18. I was cool, and I heard this, and I hope you do. And if you're 50 or 60, I hope you're here too. This is reality. You are not a very good God. The gospel is really simple. A lot of times we think it's about being good enough, doing the good things, doing right. And since you haven't done a lot of right, well, you can never be a Christian. That's not how it works. The gospel is really simple. The gospel means good news, and this is what it is. God created everything. He made it perfect. Me and you, kings and queens, we are. Rule his creation, his image. You can have everything that you want here. And he said, you got one rule. I'm God and you're not. I decide what right and wrong is. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what the tree was about. And they rejected God. And because of that, we've been separated from God. Sin entered the human race. It's both a disease, it's inside of us. It's that thing we can't break, and it's also all the bad things we do. Your struggles, your addictions, your sin, your shame, all the things you do you can't get a grasp on. You might fix it a little bit at a time, but something else leaks out. you got to be clean from the inside first. So all, all of creation, God said, you cannot be with me. You want to be God, go be God. And all of creation for the last thousands of years has shown us what it is when the creation is separate from the creator, when we try to sit on a throne that's far too big for us. And he tried to show us you can't religion it away. Here's 10 things. Do these. We couldn't do them. And then you know what people do? They, what they do today, they started adding more religious rules. Okay, well, I'll do this and wear this and go here and say this and speak this way. And, right? We still do that. We try to religion away our sin, and all it does is create a bunch of people that are scared, anxious, broken, and hiding all the time. Anyway, Jesus came down. God had a plan. Jesus, God made flesh, came down in the form of a man. Jesus of Nazareth existed. I don't care what smart you know, argument you have. It will fall apart, I promise you. He existed. Who was he? The words of C.S. Lewis, you've heard me say it. Was he a liar, a lunatic, or was he who he said he was, the son of God? He was not just a prophet. He didn't give you that option. He wasn't just a good man. Here's the good news. Remember I told you that was coming. He showed us how to live. He did miracles. This God that was in the fire came to us, and he died on the cross, an innocent man, took the punishment, the sin, 
the, the wrath of God that would have been poured on us is going to be poured on you without him was poured on him and he died he was forsaken by the father my God, my God, why have you forsaken me was the last words he said on the cross three days later he was raised from the dead fact, historical fact look it up hundreds, thousands of people saw him there are accounts that aren't even Jewish accounts that talked about it he did, was raised from the, he was raised from the dead now here's the beauty of it God offers us a choice. He says, no matter what you've done, what you're doing right now, if you will submit, if you, he offers you a deal, he will take your sin, your brokenness, your mistakes, your shame, and he will give you the benefits of his perfect holy life. You will be restored to God. No one can take it away. Not me, not the Pope, not the best person you know. No one can take away what they didn't give you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if someone lies to you again, you have the chapter. I'm going to say it again. Romans chapter 10, in case you ever know. If you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. No religion. No magic spell. Just faith. Guys, take this last 10 minutes and make it count. There'll be people up here praying for you if you're in the middle of a trial and you need prayer. There's power in prayer. They're here. It's going to seem weird. I get it. But they're here to pray with you. And they're good people. And if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I'm asking you, brother to brother, brother to sister, don't leave here the same as you came in. The trials will never stop. Do you want to handle them alone or with God? Whatever you do, don't leave here the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.